0: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and I'm joined today with Chris Chivers. How you doing today, Chris?
1: Great, Bo. Thank you very much for having me today.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. I'm excited to talk about the technology in welding uh, with you because I've heard a lot about how you're more on the behind-the-scenes type of guy. So, <laughs> How did you get into the welding industry?
1: Well, years ago, um, when I was young, I grew up in my stepdad's machine shop, and we did everything from machining products to welding and fabrication. And I was involved with every aspect of that shop growing up. As a result, I had a small welding distributor <clears throat> in the area that came back came by and called on us, and I hooked up with them and ended up going to work there selling hard goods. This is back in the early '80s, and In doing that, and I guess I was pretty enthusiastic about it. I had a company called Harris Calorific, who makes gas apparatus. At that time, they were owned by a company called Emerson Electric. They hired me as an outside rep and I covered multiple states in the West and sold gas apparatus and did that for a few years. And about the mid 80s to late 80s, I, I went to work for a welding wholesaler called Bearing Sales that was based out of Texas. The wholesaler in our industry is basically a conglomeration of a lot of manufacturers. So you have warehouses across the country. You represent somewhere around 250 different manufacturers. And you stock somewhere around 75,000 SKUs. And the welding distributor, if you walked in their store and you looked in the retail environment, a lot of what you see actually comes from a welding wholesaler. And so what they would do is they were able to bundle and buy product without having to have a relationship with all those different manufacturers. And they were able to bundle and buy what they needed on a daily basis for their stores to sell to their consumers. So it started off by actually being involved hands-on in welding and then getting into a welding manufacturer and then evolving into a welding wholesaler that represented a lot of manufacturers in the industry. So... The passion has never waned. I love the <laughs> welding channel. And so, as you mentioned, I got to see uh, the industry evolve in technology and in the products from when I first started to today.
0: Yeah, being in it from the 80s till today, that's quite a lot of change. And yes. I know uh, Greg was telling me one of the biggest things that he saw change was like welding helmets, like the auto darkening going from having a nine volt battery stuck in your head to where we are today with the little, uh, little watch batteries, pretty much, you know, but
1: yeah. Speaking of welding helmets. So when I first started selling welding supplies, there was really only one company called Hornell that sold an auto darkening filter helmet. And it was very expensive and it was a rare thing to see. Everybody bought passive welding hoods. And so one of the lines that we represented was Jackson and Jackson made a helmet called the shadow and it was kind of a new design for the time and everybody really liked it, but it was passive. Then they introduced as Greg mentioned an ADF hood that had that nine volt battery. And we were all excited. And I remember while the distributors telling us that nobody's going to buy this, it's too much money. Everybody's going to stick, you know, it's kind of that we're not really good at predicting the future sometimes with the opportunity that's in front of us. So I remember when we first started bringing that particular product out to market, it, was, it blew people away to look through it when they weld and saw a helmet that changed with the arc. They hadn't seen that. Everybody flipped their hood up and down. So it was quite a change. And then as time went on, economies of scale, different technology and models, et cetera, came today where I would say very few people buy passive hood. Everybody buys ADF filters.
0: Yeah, when I when I was in school, they I bought an auto darkening. That was my first hood, and then the teacher I had, he was very old school, and he was like, "No, you got to go buy a passive. Like you got to learn in a passive before you can get to the auto darkening." But I that that auto darkening it definitely saves your neck a little bit with the constant up and down trying to flip that hood up. But uh, yeah, so. <laughs> a technology it is changing like very fast and from the 80s till today one of the biggest things that I I am interested in is this whole inverter technology and you being on the back end side, like you've probably seen that de- developed so much more than most people especially welders you know because uh, we just see the machine turn it on and do our job but uh the the nuances behind it we don't really appreciate the growth that has happened. So can you you give us like a little idea of when you were introduced to when, you know, we had these giant machines that somehow are getting smaller and smaller and smaller?
1: Well, well you said it right, Bo. They were giant machines. They were very heavy yeah. for the amperage and everything else. They were transformer based. So you had those huge, massive copper winding and sucked in a lot of power. To create the output that you needed for welding and that's what you saw everywhere and then it was somewhere i want to say i hope i'm getting my time right on this it was probably in the early 90s or so i can remember a company called palcon being out there and palcon these guys would run around these pickups and they had these little kind of plastic case welders that were inverter and of course the whole thing with an inverter it's solid state it's small it takes less input power And what they do is it really refines the output and you're able to do things with DC and also with AC and refine AC to make it a true square wave. And uh, so I saw that coming out and I thought that was really cool. But at at the time, I remember they had their problems with the machines, although everybody really liked the quality of the output of the weld. And then in the late 90s, I ended up leaving the wholesale business for a short stint, and I went to work for a company called ThermalArc. And ThermalArc was part of Thermodyne, and they had the purple welding machine. So if anybody's out there and you go in a welding store or shop and you see the purple machines, that was Thermal Arc. And ThermalArc really specialized in inverter technology, probably more so than even the big players like Lincoln and Miller at the time, although they were getting into it and everything else, but they just seemed to be ahead of the curve. And I used to take these machines out and I had a, what we call a predator, an engine drive, and I would go to a show and I would set up the engine drive and I would set it up either with stick or I put a wire feeder on it. And then I would use the auxiliary power to run my inverters. So I could do some either DC or some AC welding with these inverters. And so what I really liked about them was you were able to get a machine that you could would be a 300 amp machine that you could pick up. It'd be about 60 pounds. And then on it, you had tremendous control because you were able to do things with the sine wave. So you were able to get the true AC square wave. You're able to control the way the AC uh, square wave looked. So you can get either more penetration or more cleaning action. You can also control the frequency of it. You can also make it pulse. And what that essentially did for someone like me is it made me look a lot better as a welder than I truly was <laughs> because I had a lot more control to do things with that type of technology. So I watched that transition, and today you'll see a lot of smaller footprint welding machines using inverter-type technology, which uses less input power and creates a greater quality output in your weld.
0: It blows my mind just I've welded on both sides, and, you know, the the difference in the weld quality, they, like, when I was in school, it was the, the big machines. Then I've gotten out of school, and it's a lot of small machines. And there's a slight difference in the weld puddle. That's the biggest thing I've noticed is that, you know, with the bigger machines, you get that puddle a lot hotter, and it ends out, like, just kind of... I don't know. It, it looks like a cleaner bead to me, but then I start using these inverter ones and it's still really clean. It just has like a different look to it. And I, I don't know. It blows my mind just that a little box can do the same thing as a big box and it's always changing. Now we have laser welders, you know, there's all all kinds of different technology advances. Um, but As far as being on the wholesale side, like jumping back in time a little bit, one thing that I think about, it's kind of like drop shipping, you know, today, a big economy for people is just drop shipping stuff. So you'll just have a whole bunch of stock somewhere and send it out here and there. But through your time in the wholesale business, how many times did you run into products that just sat on the shelf for eternity?
1: Well, quite a bit. You know, someone comes out with the new latest, greatest widget, or maybe it's a brand that's not acceptable. You know, we're brand driven, right? Uh-huh. So if someone gets used to a certain product, a certain name, and then you have maybe the same product, but it's a, it's a different brand name and people aren't used to it. They're not comfortable with it. And so they tend not to go with it. You know there there's a there's a saying that we used to always have about welders and it's you can always tell a welder you just can't tell them much <laughs> and, uh, that, what that speaks to is really is that and 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 don't get me wrong i have tremendous respect for all welders that are out there what it, through my career i've been able to watch a lot of them and but the thing is is you know they're brand driven and they're comfort driven just like we are to human nature so then if you give them the same product but it's in a different container it definitely sets a negative perception potentially with that person. And, and so you see things like that throughout my career that would land on the shelves that maybe didn't weren't so successful at the end user level, then it becomes something they try to clear out.
0: What was the coolest thing that you brought in as a wholesaler that just never caught
1: on? Um. That's a good question, You know, and I I can't think of that so much because most everything that I had an instinct about, I was pretty fortunate that it would catch on. It took a lot of work, but it would catch on. The only time that something didn't catch on is if you didn't take it to the end user and show them. In other words, if you took a product that you knew that instinctively that could be successful, and sometimes you just stuck it in the showroom, without explaining it to a customer, well, then you had a difficult time of trying to get that product to succeed. But if you had the opportunity to take it out in the field and show it to somebody, which I try to spend a lot of time at the end user level and work with those people and, and show this whatever it is that I had to them, you know, and and as long as my instinct was right about it, generally it did work out.
0: Well, speaking of instincts, uh, you use your instincts in your new business Because you started your own business called Select Welding Products, correct? Yes. So you use your instincts to select those products, right?
1: Yeah, you know, experience, (laughs) instincts, right? Some of the things that I've already had tried and proven, but, you know, we're just a new – what we are at Select Welding Products is we're a a wholesaler that's certainly not new to the game as far as, you know, what we do, but who we are, yes – And one of the things that I've always tried to do throughout my career was identify the products or items that I felt could be useful and bring value to the end user, which would also bring value to the distributor in his relationship with that end user, and then work with the distributor to go to the end user to train and show these different products or opportunities. And one of the reasons why you want to really help a distributor in this area is because they're busy. If you ever walk in a welding distributor store that's busy, a lot of times you could see the person behind the counter. He's he's going 100 miles an hour to take care of the customer's needs and also to support his salesperson that's out in the field that's under the same type of pressure all the time to make sure that the gas is there, the wires there, or whatever product needs to be there for his customer. And so it's up to us to go in and get their attention when we can and show them these different items that we have. So. We're very value-driven. We try to be. So we, we don't have a huge line card like I used to have. We're just getting started out. Here I am late in my career. I've been in this business for 40 years. And after 40 years, I'm, I'm almost starting over and with a couple of guys that have been in the industry, too, that I've had relationships for many years. But you know, you're, you're basically going out there and trying to, again, show value in, in the few items that we have to help distribution, create a level of enthusiasm in their team to go out and have these conversations with their customers to create a new line of revenue for them and to you know create the value um, that you need in order to leverage the other things that welding distributor wants to sell to the end user
0: when you go and pick out a new product that you're going to be distributing to these distributors uh, what what types of things are you looking for in a product that's it's not just like oh well you know this is a very big name thing like do you go more for the innovation or do you go for more of just say this is super solidly made Uh, like what types of things you look for in a product and I feel like that can help welders you know young and old start looking more at their gear you know because you can buy something off the internet and it's like this is the best thing you'll ever buy and it comes to you and it's a piece of junk you know like, but how do you, on the back end, like, how do you vet these products? Like, even if you just get a sample, like, do you get samples from these manufacturers or do you, is it like a catalog? They're like, hey, here's all of our new stuff. You know, how are you sold on stuff that you decide to pick up and represent?
1: You know, that's such a great question, um, Bo and you know, certainly when you look at a product and a value set, you know, you're looking at the productivity value or the safety value, the, the, the efficiency value. There's certain things like that that are value sets that you want to identify. But the other part of it is, too, is identifying when you're working with a welding distributor, you know, he's under competitive pressure. And so you can have a major brand that's out there that everybody carries. And a welding distributor in particular has to be, they're a very technical house. They provide a lot to the end user or to the fabricators out across the country. And so you want them to have a level of profitability for them to continue to do what they do. And I always say it's kind of like if you if you buy a a, a dishwasher from Sears or something like that and you have somebody come in and work on it or whatever, tune it up or even install it, you have to pay. But in the welding industry, welding distributors traditionally don't charge for that great technical expertise to help a welder succeed with the products that they buy. As a result, you have this need to be able to pay for that. And so when I'm looking at a product, too, I try to say, is this going to bring the the value set it needs? One and two, is it going to be different enough that it doesn't have so much competitive pressure yet because it is new enough to the market that they can make some margin for the effort and still be a value to the end user. And so there's a lot of different variables that I look at. You know, what's different? So to give you an example, look at welding gloves. You basically have two manufacturers that dominate the welding glove space, right? And, but there's some people out there that are really good at making something that's different and unique. So for a welding distributor, You're competing against everybody. You're competing against e-commerce sites, Amazon, brick and mortar locations, etc. And so it becomes a challenge for them, right? It drives the margin down, it drives the revenue down because the market's already saturated with these gloves. So recently we found a manufacturer that we're pretty excited about because they made some patented and unique features that sets itself apart from anybody else in the industry. So one, It's going to be appealing to the end user and two, it's going to be appealing to the distributor because it's something new and fresh that they can offer to the marketplace.
0: So I'm intrigued. These, these gloves, what makes them so different?
1: Um, If you think of a welding glove, typically they design it as though your hand is two dimensional. So they sort of take two flat pieces of leather and they put a, a, a back and a front And they sew them together and your fingers go straight up. So then what you have to do is you have to use your hand to force the glove into a a natural position. And if you ever get a new pair of like leather gloves, that is not always comfortable, right? You get them on and you start holding your MIG gun or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And all of a sudden you realize, man, I, I need to break these in. They're just not that comfortable. So the company we found, they paid attention to your hand. And they saw that it's three-dimensional, and you have a natural curve to it. So what they did is they designed in the fingers a way till it's more comfortable for you to curve your fingers when you're working. And then the other thing they did is when you do that, instead of having just a flat, solid piece here, they took out some of the leather. So what happens is you don't have it bunching up in your palm. So when you go to work or you're handling, you finish welding something, now you got to move it. You don't want it bunching up here and creating it an uncomfortable area when you're moving something around. So they put some thought into it and where they got their idea was, was from rodeo Uh because they wanted a glove that number one could be very comfortable. I would imagine in a very uncomfortable situation. (laughs) And when you went to grab the rope or whatever it is, they're hanging on to, you know, you didn't want the glove bunching up and dig it into your hand. It needed to be comfortable. So They developed a glove around that. And then from there, they decided, hey, there might be an opportunity in the welding industry. So they took that design, patented design concept and they brought it to the welding industry. Nobody knows about it yet. And so what we're going to do at our company is work to get that product, that that knowledge out to the distributors and the end users to say, hey, here's another option for you.
0: So when, how do people approach you? So I feel like it's, more you know it's like going through a if you're starting like a business of okay i have these new gloves i want to push them out you know i feel like people would be more like okay i'm gonna go to every arc 3 or air gas i'm gonna go to all these places and just leave a sample hopefully it'll catch on you know how do how do people find you
1: you know, and that's another great question. Part of it is, you know, I have relationships in the industry and the partners that I have have relationships in the industry. So you can contact some of those people. Like you mentioned, there's arc 3 or the Air Gas or whoever's out there. You know, so, so we try to reach out to those people. We try to get their attention and, and let them know about the opportunities we have. We also, you know, try to do a mass mailing out when we introduce a line. And once a week, we try to push something out. It might be an existing line. And a great opportunity that people aren't aware of, of an existing line or a new line, such as the gloves, as I was mentioned, uh, that name of that company, by the way, is Bare Knuckles, like B-E-A-R. I like that. Bear, you know, and um, what we do is we um, will do a mass email. And in that email, we try to capture their attention to say, here's a new opportunity to take a look at. We'll usually hook them with a little bit of video maybe a few little bit of information, a flyer, and then reach back out to us. And then we can, you know, take you to the next steps. So that's how we do it.
0: Nice. And do you, so right now we're in a very difficult time uh, for the economy in general, but as far as the supply chain, has that been a huge issue for you over the past couple of years?
1: Oh, a really big issue. And I would say, you know, it's accelerated yeah. and, uh, over the past couple of years. And absolutely. And it and it, what's really interesting about wholesale is you sell a lot of commodity items. And what I mean by that is you have weld chemicals. These are anti-spat nozzle dips, non-destructive uh, testing products. Then you have lenses and then you have welding hose. Then you have hose repair kits. And These are things that you would have every day, welding cable. These are things that you sold every day that the user used. And we always had in stock. And all those items that I just mentioned are all an issue right now. Across the country, the one thing I never had an issue with was, for instance, welding hose. And today, welding hose is a big issue. And so we're getting calls all the time from people looking for quarter-inch, twin, grade T, 50-foot, uh, welding hose and we don't have it right now it's coming in but across the country even my competitor wholesale competitors and everybody else that sells welding hose we're on the same boat and when it comes to the weld chemicals so if you think of an anti-spat in a can it's not so much the product that's in the can that's an issue believe it or not it's the can itself so it might be the can or the button on top or whatever that becomes something that we import And it needs to be part of that process of putting the can together that we can't get. Hose repair kits. Uh, You look at a company like Western Enterprise who manufactures the brass parts right there in Ohio. The one thing they don't make is the hose ferrules. They stamp these out of brass. And the hose ferrules are imported. So they sit out wherever. In the meantime, you can't find across the country, unless someone has someone stashed away, a hose repair kit. And that used to be an everyday item. So yeah, it's it, it's creating a severe challenge for everybody.
0: So how how do you go about navigating it? Is it is it more of a managing expectations, or is it trying to find you know workarounds? Like what 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 have you been doing on that that back end? Because I know it just must be a nightmare right now.
1: A little but, of both. Right? Yeah, so you manage expectations. You let people know when stuff's you know, how far out you can expect. And, you know, that's that's that, that's the hard truth. And then when you want to try to, you know, help them, let's say they need a 50-foot hose, well, let's take two 25-footers and we'll couple them together to make a 50-foot hose. So, you know, the, there's solutions to some things that we do have. Some There is no solutions. And and in some cases, we're fortunate to be uh, hooked up with a particular manufacturer that maybe didn't run into the supply chain issue that their competitors did because they were somewhat unknown. And so when they were putting together the materials they needed to house their product in or whatever, they did it at a time when there was no demand on them. So now all of a sudden they sit a little bit prettier with their products. So, we, and the reason why I say that is we, we work with uh, uh, a weld com- chemical company, and we actually have a lot of the products that are missing from the other competitors in the industry because. When the, while they were unknown, they were able to buy the cans and the buttons and the things you need uh, to to put the product into that vessel and get it shipped out. So we have a little bit of advantage with that. So it's a lot of what you just said, both those things.
0: Greg told me about a guy named Bob that has yeah. been a very big influence on his life, but he said also on yours. Uh, tell me about Bob.
1: So Bob Don, we call him the Wizard. Uh, started a company called Flange Wizard in 1981. Bob Doan was a pipe welder, entrepreneur. He had his own crew of rigs that he would go out in the oil patch, especially around California, but different parts of the country too. And he did that for about 28 years. And during that time, like any good welder does, they come up, they're innovative, and they come up with a better idea of how to make a tool, it would work better than what they have currently. And so what he created, the very first tool he created was called the flange aligner. So I don't know if you're familiar with pipe welding where you would have to align a flange. And so what you would do is you would typically take two pins or bolts and you put them in the top two holes of your flange and then you would rest a level on top. Mm -hmm. And that's how you would line everything up to tack your flange. Well, you were always knocking that level off. So the very first tool he made was the two pins with a bar that went right through the center of those pins. So it secured it and it had a level. So for the face of the flange and also the top two holes for two-holing. And so that was his first tool he developed. So in 1981, he started, he sold off his business and he started Flange Wizard. And he's always made it in the U.S. And he um, makes most today the most complete best line of pipe layout marking products you could buy and also cutting guides for plasma and torch. When I first met him, when I first started in wholesale, it was actually my very first day, and I was down in Los Angeles, and I was touring the warehouse and learning about our business at Bearing Sales. And they said, we're having a vendor come in, in this evening to show some of his products. And I'm great. I always, I, I always want to learn. And so here comes Bob, and I first time I meet him, and he's coming into the warehouse, and the first thing I noticed is he has a big ice cooler full of beer, so I thought, I already like this guy. <laughs> so, so he brings this into our like meal room, passing out beers, and then he starts showing his products. And I immediately was impressed that it was a little different than what was available in the market, and I really liked him too. And so like Greg had told you, I developed a relationship with him immediately. And so what I would do is he was still relatively unknown throughout my market, I would take him everywhere I could on a call because one, I wanted to learn from him and two, I wanted people to learn him because I thought he was such an iconic character. And I wanted to, uh, you know, showcase that line and grow that line for him. And from there, we just developed a very strong relationship. He was actually like a father to me. And uh, of all the lines that I've represented throughout my entire career, Flange Wizard has been the, one consistent line from the start of my career to today that I still promote and push during that time he innovated so not only was he always trying to find ways to improve some of his tools you know he was also creating new tools and so he never was satisfied with where he was at and when you would go in his office he would have bits and parts and pieces of all kinds of different things and prototypes and any time that I went to visit him, you know, hey, Chris, look at this. And he'd pull out the newest thing he was working on. What do you think of this? And, and he always did that. But the other part that I always respected about him was throughout the years, people would go to him and say, Bob, we could save you money. We could take some of this stuff over to China or overseas and have it manufactured there and increase your margins, et cetera. You know the story. And Bob absolutely would never do that. He said, no way. I'm loyal to this country. And I'm loyal to the people that work for me. And he's very loyal to people. Great family man. Great individual. And we just lost him last summer. That's, That's what I heard. That was very tough.
0: I'm sorry to hear that. Hey, everyone. If you are looking to pick up a new machine, head on over to store.linkinelectric.com And you can use one of our promo codes, weld.com10, for 10% off equipment or weld.com 20 for 20% off gear accessories and these are going to be good for the rest of the year again that's weld.com spelled out w-e-l-d-d-o-t-c-o-m with 10 or 20 after and you can snag some sweet new gear at a sweet new price so on as a wholesaler you're approached by people with new products is it usually welders that are inventing these new products to try to make their job easier? Or do you, say, do you see yourself just like working with more of people that are developing all kinds of ideas?
1: You know, it, 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 it could be welder driven. In other words, the great ideas are going to come from our experience in the field. So you could be out in the field working with welders and a welder will give you an idea of, you know, maybe a flaw in your product or improvement needed or a new product because you're watching what they do. Mm-hmm. I think the, the biggest Thing that i ever did in my career that i enjoyed was being able to go out and see welders in their environment see welders and the things that they did the different manufacturers the different kinds of shops you went into i've been fortunate to see all kinds of companies i mean i was even on the set of uh, waterworld which was a movie with kevin costner oh, i love that white. movie Yeah, yeah. And so what what they did is they needed some help with some of their welding supplies. Matter of fact, they were going for the first time with ADS and everything there. So I was out there talking to them about it while I was watching them, you know, take the uh the jet skis that were brand new. And in that movie, if you remember they called them smokers. Oh yeah. And what they basically did is they injected oil into the cylinders and everything to make them smoke. So they kind of ruined them, the new ones to make it do what they needed to do for the movie. So when you see things like that, or you're out there in the field, you learn things and then you bring that back to the manufacturer. And then hopefully the manufacturer's listening and, you know, bringing that idea to fruition. And so that's where a lot of the ideas come from. Right. It comes to a lot of times just from the welder or in the case of someone like the wizard, Bob Doan, you know, he, he did it. That's what he did. That was his career. And so, from that, he created all that innovation based on his own frustration. So we we always learn from the welder.
0: So, do you have you dabbled in welding yourself, or have you? Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite process?
1: TIG. TIG.
0: Everybody loves yeah. TIG. Everybody loves <laughs> TIG. You either love or hate
1: well, it. It's it's clean. Um, you know, you can control you can control the arc, especially with an inverter, right? So if you're working on aluminum to be able to control your sine wave, you know, um, to be able to control the heat input uh, through pulsing, uh, all kinds of different things that you can do with TIG. And plus when you're on DC, it's AC, it's a noisy process, right? That's because you're breaking the hard oxide as as the current goes from negative to positive and it breaks through the oxide. On DC, it's it's a quiet process. So if you're working on stainless or steel oh, in yeah. your DC, it's just quiet. Yeah, you know? it's very, it, it's very like calming. And you can make beautiful welds. And speaking of that on welds, if you don't mind me digressing here, um, when I was first in wholesale, you got to remember, we didn't have any technology. Okay? There was no cell phones. Yeah. there's no computers. Right. So you didn't have your price sheets and things like that and all your information on a computer. What we had was a binder that was about 10 inches thick and it had all the different manufacturer catalogs and all the different like price sheets and everything in there. And every month we would send a mailer out and would have updates of the various manufacturers that a distributor or when I went in to see a distributor, you would have to update that book. It would be kind of like if you ever walked in an auto supply store where they had a big counter catalog. Oh yeah, That's the way it was. There was no computer, so everything was inserted there. And that person would have to look through that book to find the part number or whatever it was they needed. I carried my big catalog and a, like a leather satchel in places I would go. And I'd have, my other hand would be samples. I got pretty strong carrying a big, heavy catalog yeah. and a bag <laughs> full of samples to go out and go see my distribution and hopefully go out and see the end user. And then... You would well, you would travel around because you didn't have a cell phone. You would have to call in and find a a, a phone booth that wasn't used as a public restroom, oh, and yes. you would have to <laughs> you would have to you know call into your messages or call into the office or when I'd go out and see a distributor because a lot of times we were handwriting orders by following around because it wasn't all automated. Yeah, you know, and then we would have to then call that order in if they had a fax. That was like whoa. this is the
0: future
1: it's so um you know i was thinking too on that um when when i was out there in the field making calls like that uh, i remember so many times leaving that catalog somewhere one time i put it on top of my car and i forgot it was there i was putting stuff in the trunk and i drove off and i was like an hour away before the customer called me up and said hey chris your catalog fell off your car it's out here we got it out of the parking lot for you. you come back and get it but you know I was dead without it. The other thing, too, is I traveled. You didn't have GPS. Yeah. Today, we depend on GPS, right? You had to get a Thomas Guide map, or I'd go to AAA and find local maps. And before I even worked an area that I hadn't been to before, I'd go run it dry, and then I would mark on that map those locations that I would have to go see. And I could actually, at that time, I could memorize that route. So when I went in that area, I knew which exits, I knew which streets, I knew everything about it. Today, I think I'm dependent on GPS, right? Yeah. So it's like I get, I get lost without it too. And so, you know, it was just a different world back then and how we had to go out there and work. The first time I got a computer, the very first time, and I started I learning, I learned the spreadsheet and I learned word processing and I'm working it. And I said, you know, this is going to save me so much time. I <laughs> think how unprophetic I was. That <laughs> that would the ball and chain, right in my career. Because at the end of a day, I'd make calls. I'd go to my hotel, and you didn't have a computer. You didn't have to check email. You didn't have to message anybody. There wasn't that need for instant information. A day or two was fine. Today, it's like right now. Yeah. Everything's right now. You know. So, well, yeah, and that's that's heart
0: something heartache. that I. That- recently I just watched something the other day about how you know the nine to five like has turned into eight to whenever because you constantly can work because it's it's so easy for people that are in you know just like sales anything marketing anything that you are tied to a computer to communicate with people it's hard to not work nowadays you know it's like you can you get off the clock but you still have your whole entire business right in your pocket you know and as far as back when you were talking about you know it's like the wild west it's like when you're done for the day you clock out you know i i feel like the innovation is cool but i i miss i wish that we had a little bit less connectivity just so that people, <laughs> people get to have a little bit more of a life, you know.
1: Yeah, it, it's that's why I said I was very unprophetic. Like, it was going to save me more time. No, it actually created more yeah. work for me, really. But then back then, the way I saw welders when I got to be in front of them. So, when I went out there, I got to see how they welded, what they did, and everything else. And that was really cool. But what's cool about technology today and social media, obviously, is to see the new generation of welders because they can put all their stuff on Instagram and inspire others to do similar type things and maybe bring more people in the trades because we have a shortage of welders in this country and interest them in sort of some social degree in something that they can practically use and make great money at and also do things that you really want to do. And you see that on Instagram and the talent level of the younger welder today just blows me away. And I love going on Instagram and just looking at you know, welders and their welds and what they're doing. And it's phenomenal to see that. The thing that's really funny as I go through it too, is I see the new generation with the new technology kind of going old school a little bit too. I see them with the, the pancake hood. Yeah. You know, pancake was a very common pipeliner type welding hood. And you see, that's the cool thing or a straight up pipeliner style welding hood, which was really becoming old style welding hood as we were progressing into different styles throughout my career. Now it's sort of did full circle and it's back and to see the younger welder becoming sort of old school is really cool to see.
0: Everybody loves vintage, right? Yeah. I'm a sucker for looks. Like if something looks cool, like I think that those pancake hoods look cool, you know, but the, the functionality of having the, having your eyes like completely shut off from outside light, you know, that's a huge, there's a huge difference between having that, you know, the functionality is really big, but it does just look cool. How many times you run into products that people push your way and you're like, this looks really cool, but I don't really see it being useful.
1: I get that once in a while and had it through my career, some really good people coming up with something they felt would be a really good idea and at first, initially, it sort of catches you and you think, wow, this is really cool. But then you start realizing the practicality of something or when you when you're working and how you work. So, you know, I've seen people like create a holder for a MIG gun, for instance, and you take a MIG gun and you're done welding it and you put it and you always know where it's at. Well, being in a shop with someone that's working, you know, they're not going to always look for the holder. Yeah, They're like, it's going down here. I'm doing something. I'm picking it back up, etc. So, you know, even though it makes sense, it may not be practical. And I know I'm that way. Like, try to get me to be really organized in certain things with my tools and this and that. And I'm working next thing. You know, I have things spread out everywhere, right? So, you know, I've seen those kinds of ideas come in and then just not really take hold.
0: What What's the favorite, like your favorite? favorite product that you've come across in your entire career?
1: Oh boy. <clears throat> I'll, tell you, I'll tell question. you, I'll tell you recently that's one of my favorites and, and, and you're going to kind of chuckle because it's, it's very simple. And that is the peer clamp and I'm it's P I H E R peer clamp. So if you think of an F clamp, we all use different brands and manufacturers in the United States and they all look the same and F clamp was a big improvement. And when I first started my career, everybody just used C-clamps. When the F-clamp came out, and Bessie was the first one to introduce the F-clamp, really, to the market the way they did, <clears throat> it was revolutionary, and everybody wanted the F-clamp because you could slide that lower jaw up and down and, and clamp your material pretty quick versus a C-clamp. You got to keep screwing that long screw, right? So anyway, <clears throat> a few years ago, my partner now, Bill Fidale, he was in Germany at a woodworking show, and he called me up. He says, hey, Chris, I found this company in Spain, and they make these clamps. I think we could do pretty good with them in the U.S. And I go, Bill, we've got clamps in the U.S. like crazy, and they're saturated, all these different manufacturers. you know. And I was just like, nah. And he goes, well, let me send you some samples. So he sent me some samples, and I looked at it, and I go, wow, this is really different. It's a game changer. And what Peer is is a clamp that works like a vise in your hands. So think about that. Now, when you use a clamp, you spin the screw, everything spins. The pad spins, it pivots. Try to take two pieces of tubing and clamp them together. you It's almost impossible. Well, actually, it is impossible. I've never seen anybody do it um, to, to clamp that together. Well, you can do it with a pier clamp because the bottom pad on the jaw, when you're spinning it, it just doesn't move. It doesn't spin. It just goes in like a vise, right? So when you're clamping, everything's stable. If you've got to get on the edge or a corner, it doesn't slide off. It's really strong. The threads are in it's, – it's a cast outside jaw system, <clears throat> excuse me, and inside you have a machine-type thread that's opposed in two different directions, and it gives you a mechanical advantage over the ACME thread as far as pressure. So what a welder does now is they take a clamp with an Acme thread and they start clamping down. Well, they need more pressure. Well, clamps are designed for hand work, not putting cheaters on. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. To get more pressure. If you have to put a cheater on a clamp, you're always using the clamp. And when they do put a cheater on, it tends to bend the clamp and everything else because they want more pressure. What the pier clamp does, because of the mechanical advantage it has, not only is it a stable clamp, but it gives you – Twice the power of a regular clamp by hand because of the way it's designed inside. And here's this clamp. It's been around for 60 years plus by a family business, second generation running it in Spain, not even known here in the U.S. We brought it here, and the first show we introduced it to was at the um, Husker Harvest Days in Nebraska. So farmers are great fabricators because they do a little bit of everything, right? So it's a great show to be at to sell products, too. So we had a bunch of clamps there. We were showing it. And in three days, we sold $30,000 in clamps. Now, keep in mind, all these shops already have clamps. Yeah. Right? They don't need another clamp. But because this one worked totally different, worked like they wished their clamp worked like, we were able to uh, sell them this clamp because they don't have a clamp like that. And so we're still trying to get it out there. <clears throat> I know i had given some to weld.com. So if you walk out there, if you see some blue ones, or some red ones, that's pure. Uh, when Netflix did that Metal Shop Master show, uh-huh. I talked to the producer, and I was able to get them some clamps. So if you looked at that series, you'll see a rack of clamps, and you'll see them using the pure clamp at the show. And the producer told me, wow, they really love that clamp. And we find that everywhere we go. They love the clamp because it works totally different from any clamp they ever had. So that, of all crazy things and technology <laughs> and everything else, a clamp. Was one of the more, most exciting things we've ever introduced.
0: Well, that's got to be something that is super rewarding. You know, just showing somebody something as simple as it's like, hey, I know you got a bunch of clamps, but check this one out. And just seeing somebody's whole worldview change with a clamp must be, just bringing new innovations to people must be exciting.
1: Well, you know, it is. And <clears throat> throughout my career <clears throat> and when you would go see a user, The most important thing I always wanted to do is respect them. These are the people that have to work behind that hood or whatever they're doing, eight hours a day, five days a week or overtime, whatever they're doing, right? I have tremendous respect for those people. So what I always try to do is not go in and tell them I got something better than they're using. Excuse me. What I would do is I would want their opinion, so I'd show them how something works, but then what I want is I want their opinion. They need to tell me because they're the expert at what they do. Does this work for what you do? And if you do have that solution for them, it's exciting. If I went in there with the approach that I have something better than you have, I'm kind of slapping them in the face, right? Yeah. So I have to show them respect, and they earned it. And so I've throughout my career, I've had these welders. They're leery of a rep coming in to see them. Right. And then when they realize that, you know, you care about what they're doing, they tend to want to show you more about what they're doing, which means I get to learn more and and bring that information back either to the manufacturer, just go, wow, that was really interesting what they do.
0: Well, and that's, it's hard to find a relationship with someone trying to sell you something that's, they're not just trying to sell you something, you know, it's like someone that it's nice to know, like, there's people like you that are behind the scenes that are trying to get you something that is going to help you in the long term but it's not just because I'm trying to meet a bottom line, you know it's like, I'm trying, I am I respect what you do but I'm trying to show you this might help you do what you do better but if you don't need it, it's fine on you you know, but that's it's nice to see that there's that humanity still in there and that's something I've kind of felt in the welding world, is that Everybody in the welding world is pretty honest and very straightforward, uh, but people have people's best interest in heart, and that has been really cool to see so far. You know, I haven't talked to everybody, but you're I've talked right about
1: to- that. On the supply side, where I come from, you know, I could say the same thing. Whether it's going to see that end user or working with a welding distributor, um, throughout my career, the biggest blessing is the amazing people that I've had to have got to have relationships with. I enjoy the the community, right? We're like, a the welding industry is a unique family. On the welding supply side, I used to tell people that once you get into this industry, it's a little bit like the twilight zone. You're never going to get out of it. And I have rarely seen somebody get into our industry and then leave it for another. They generally stay. Greg was one, right? So I told Greg this, and he had no background in welding whatsoever when I needed somebody in the Northwest, and he was moving there. And so I said, you know, you got the right attitude. We'll teach you the products. Don't worry about that. Are you interested in going to work for us? And, and he was. And he went up there. And he tried to leave. And then he came back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I told him.
0: Like it's a it's a spider web. Once you step in it, it's hard to get out. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, that's, so as far as into the field, where do you see like one thing I wanted to talk to someone on your side about was you kind of get to see a glimpse into the future that people on the kind of customer side don't get to see for a while. Is there any innovations that you see coming that you can talk about or is it all top secret?
1: No, no, nothing top (laughs) secret. Um, but, uh, Certainly, from my side, you know, I, like I told you, I ran across, like you know, it's gloves, but yeah. the way they did is different from anybody else. So you know, that's innovative. And we're excited to bring that to market. But then, you know, I'm not involved with anything like you know, laser welding. You talk about that. Now I've seen the videos on it. I'm completely intrigued, I and agree. I know there's no economy and scale in that yet, right? Because it's a very expensive machine. Oh yeah, but it looks just amazing to me and i know some distributors that are taking it on and i'm kind of anxious to hear how it's going for them out in the field and everything like that so it's like the early days of the inverter how exciting that was to the marketplace to have this big punch out of a small little package and uh but as far as anything else that i know as far as innovation now i i don't know and, and then but i'm always looking you know we had a guy in australia that created a unique way to light your torch you know oxyfuel torch And he calls it Sparky. And we're trying to help him to develop his manufacturing to bring it to the United States because it was the most unique way I've ever seen to light a torch. And it makes total sense. And so I saw this video. Greg actually shared it with me. I reached out to the guy and we're trying to help him bring it to the U.S. because it's a little thing. But in some cases, it's incredibly useful.
0: So with your business, you said it's new. What are you doing to try, like, where do you want to see your business go to?
1: What we want to do is just continue to grow <clears throat> the entire portfolio that we have to create a wholesaler that's, you know, has the bundling necessary for a welding distributor, right? There's the everyday needs, like I told you, the hose and some of the parts and that you see in a welding distributorship, but a big part of our focus is try to drive new innovation, to train welding distribution, and their sales team counter people to identify new market opportunities to help them in the, in the out there in their customer space. So we try to be not just a catalog full of product where you can go online and say, I need this, this, and this, and then you place your order, but we try to drive out there's education in a product that maybe has been around for a long time that people aren't aware of, that we try to help them make them aware of to make them better or their people better with their customers. Or again, with the new innovation, introducing that as a new leverage point out in the field. And to give you an example of that, what we really wanna do is I have a, a distributor in Northern California, <clears throat> and he saw the pier clamps and he said, Chris, I want you to come out with me and show this to some of my customers. So we went into some shops. We, we had immediate success, and they started converting and buying a lot of our clamps, which was great. But here's the bigger part of the picture or the appeal that we hope we have with the welding distributor is the welding distributor, what they really want is they want the gas business. and this particular case on this user, my distributor didn't have the gas relationship, and he wanted that. And he says, Chris, I want to use these things like you bring to us. To continue to develop my value, my relationship, my credibility in order and trust in order to get the other things that I really want is the bundle all these other items, the gas, the wire, whatever else. And so that's the kind of value I want to bring to – we want to bring as our team at Select Welding Products that we want to bring to the marketplace and to welding distribution.
0: And so the name, how did you come up with Select Welding Products? Is it you are – very selective with the products you represent or where did that That's name a big come part
1: from it's it. huh? a big part of it yeah and <laughs> it, it, it's a great it's a great call out Bo. <laughs> you know um, the thing is is you like i mentioned you could have up to 250 manufacturers and in that there's a sub- level of redundancy in certain manufacturers right and rather than create that high level of choices what we want to do is try to be loyal to a select few Uh, manufacturers because we want them to really partner with us and not feel like we have a bunch of their competitors that we're out promoting too. So we want to have the everyday items that a welding distributor will need. At the same time, we want to limit the amount of brands and products that we have, but we're always looking for that unique product. We'll always add that to our portfolio. And that way it becomes a better relationship with the manufacturer And hopefully with the distributor, with our philosophy,
0: I like that. I mean, less is more, but it's you know, it's like just being a more refined selection. And I think that me as like not only a welder, so I'm also a musician. Been in the music world for a long time. There's endless amounts of music, like supply or music companies, you know, it's like you have all the different types of guitar manufacturers, pedal manufacturers, and, you know, there's like two really big, big box places you can shop for all your music needs, and it just like, it's daunting, because there's so much stuff, and you gotta try each thing out, and because a lot of times you can pay like a hundred bucks for a turd that's going to sit on the shelf, you know, (laughs) that's, I feel like, you know, being selective and choosy is more valuable for the customer in the long end, because you don't have to, it's establishing more of a sense of trust with you because it's yeah. so you can trust if I'm supplying this, it's going to be helpful. It's not just going to be, Oh, well, here's this really cool, kitschy thing. And I, uh, I know it's $45 for this little plastic hunk of thing, you know, but it's going to be useful. I feel so like walking to
1: guitar center and going, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Guitar center is one of those big box places. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> then online you have like Sweetwater who sends out this massive catalog. That
0: that was the second one I was thinking of. See, you know, you you got some music in you.
1: Well, it's my son. He plays. And when he was, when he was young, he was really into baseball. And then when he turned about 15 and after an all-star tournament, he just came to me one day and says, I want to quit playing baseball. And I said, why? He goes, I want to learn to play guitar. And so we bought him a $99 guitar and Thinking that you know that's going to be short-lived, fat, and didn't realize, boy, it was a passion. And next thing you know, I'm as he's growing up, I'm spending a fortune, like you said, on all the widgets and the gears and the guitars and the amps and the pedals and the everything else. And then I was a roadie, man. I would help him move stuff around and, for different concerts and different things like that. So I have big appreciation for all that.
0: <laughs> uh, see, and if there was only a select music products, you know, we would we would have a more trusted source to go to.
1: But it's like a tool, right? So, and you know, as a player, you tend to gravitate towards the one that you either feel most comfortable with or sound, whatever it is, it will be like, you know, so he'll have like, you know, 10 guitars, but it's really one to two guitars that he really focuses on. Right? Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm sure you, you relate <laughs> to
0: that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and that relates back to what we were talking at the very beginning of this, you know, welders. You are we are creatures of habit, where we see you know it's like we know some trusted brands. We're like, I need to have this because that's the brand that everybody knows, you know. And I think what you're doing with trying to find more innovative products, but still carrying you know the the go to spot or the go to companies, I just think that's you helping us welders become less creatures of habit is going to be a good thing in the long run. <laughs>
1: That's a great point it's like our toolbox is right you buy all these tools you think you need and you seem to gravitate towards certain tools all
0: the time yep that phillips head screwdriver out of this (laughs) 96 pack tool box i got you know (laughs) well is there is there anything else you want to add today i've really enjoyed our conversation and i i really think that you know what you're doing is really cool i'm excited to see the new products that you help bring to the world. I got to get my hands on some of these bear, bear gloves, man, bear anything knuckles. with bear. No. I'm all about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you know, I appreciate your time today and it was kind of nice reliving, you know, my past a little bit and going back and thinking about the things that I used to do and what I used to see and how we used to operate, how technologies changed everything. You know, it's nice to see how, you know, social media has brought this new generation of highly skilled, talented welders uh, to the marketplace to hopefully attract even more. I mean, the more welders there is, the more future I continue to have, right? in selling supplies. I, oh, yeah. I, I want a nation of welders. Anytime I see a, a person with a rig welding outfit, I'm thinking, God bless them, man. I just, you know, thank you very much for what you do because you buy the products that I sell. And so... I'm encouraged by that and just the biggest challenge moving forward that hopefully we'll get through in time is you know onshoring more of our manufacturing in the United States and uh, not relying so much on overseas to help relieve this supply chain issue, which is one of the biggest challenge inflation and supply chain that we see today inflation on the inflation side just think of you know the shipping costs, and the cost of manufacturing energy, et cetera, et cetera, and how it applies. And the the constant keeping up with the price changes from the manufacturers is is a challenge for everyone.
0: I bet. bet But other than
1: that, I, Bo, I really appreciate your time. And yes, you asked some great questions and, uh, uh, really, uh, grateful for this interview today.
0: Oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad we got to chat. It was fun and we'll have to keep in touch.
1: Yeah. Stay in touch. And, you know you need information on anything let me know um i'll I'll send you some information like on bare knuckles and Pear, take a look at it, and see what you think
0: yeah I saw I saw it on your on your website and I was like, those look pretty cool. I gotta see i, I I'm glad we got to talk about them because i I'm a sucker for gloves like i have that's probably the number one thing that I buy is that you know it's like i've I've had every like tillman I've had Miller's I've had mechanics came out with their new one you know i've tried i've tried all like black stallion i've been all over the all over the place with gloves so i'm excited for a new new uh, new type of glove to try out because that's that's my my big big flaw is that i'm a sucker for gloves so
1: yeah we'll get you a sample no problem
0: (laughs) well i really appreciate it and i hope you have a great rest of your day chris
1: thanks both thank you so much again for your time and uh have a wonderful
0: day. Hey, you too, man. I'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, brother. Take
0: care. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and make sure you head on over to Weld.com and become a member so you can keep up with all the new news coming out, and check out the forums where you can find answers to questions you might have about welding. Until next time, we'll see you out there.